0: As moms, we often wonder, "Am I doing enough for my kids?" I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower: our intuition, and it never sears us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, "Gee, you have your hands full." On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that. Total Mom Sense. This episode is for the mompreneurs in the audience. So, you have your newly launched brand and have taken it to market you're seeing steady growth, are consistently posting compelling content on your company website and social media channels, and are engaging with your audience in an authentic way. Last week, we talked about creating a buzz and establishing your brand credibility through event production with veteran Rachel Page Goldstein. Today, we're talking about all things legal related to your business. Enter author, attorney, advisor, speaker, and idea acupuncturist, Anjali Kumar. Anjali works with entrepreneurs and C-level executives in all stages of business, focusing on early stage tech, consumer products, and luxury fashion companies with a social conscience. She recently co-founded the Justice Department, a women-led firm focusing on legal counsel and business strategy for female entrepreneurs, executives, talent, and brands. Prior to that, Anjali was the founding chief people officer and general counsel at Cheddar, the founding head of social innovation and founding general counsel at Warby Parker, founding general counsel at Acumen and senior counsel at Google. While at Google, Anjali curated and hosted the at Google speaker series on the New York campus, bringing Googlers from around the globe face to face with today's most prominent and innovative thought leaders, including Anthony Bourdain, Questlove and Jack Pepe, and hosted a YouTube interview series lunchtime at Google. Anjali's TED Talk, based on her book, Stalking God, My Unorthodox Search for Something to Believe in, has been watched by over 4 million people around the world and has been translated into over 20 languages. A television show based on her book is in development. Anjali earned her BA in Biomedical Ethics from Brown University and a JD from Boston University School of Law is an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School and Fordham University and continues to advise nonprofit organizations, including the Malala Fund and IDEO.org. In 2016, she was appointed by Mayor Bill de Blasio to join the NYC Children's Cabinet Advisory Board and GROW NYC. Anjali currently serves on the board of directors of Happy Money, Women's World Banking, Glow Science Professional, Amplifier, Edible Schoolyard NYC. American Documentary, and the Guggenheim Museum's Global Innovation Council. She lives in New York City and upstate New York with her husband and daughter, Zia. Anjali, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So take us back to your childhood. Do you find that you grew up in a traditional Indian household?
1: Very much so. <laughs> I very much so grew up in a traditional Indian household. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I was actually born in Brooklyn, but then raised outside of Chicago and spent all my formative years there through high school. Um, and my father is a doctor. My mom stayed at home. She's a painter, artist. Uh, I have a sister who went to med school like as traditional as was a first gen Indian <laughs> you could know,
0: get it in the 70s absolutely uh, yes and you know what was a typical discussion at the dinner table for your family
1: mm. <laughs> well that's a really interesting question. I would have to really think hard back to that. It was probably about school, like yeah. about whatever happened at school that day. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't a family that was sitting around discussing politics of the day. And right. Kind of thing, right. Um, which is contrary to my husband, who apparently had big political debates in his traditional Indian household. But yes. My family was not that family when we talked about school and what was going on with our lives. My parents were really
0: interested in the day-to-day
1: of, of what we were up to.
0: Sure. And what are some of the lessons that they taught you and how has that shaped you into who you are today
1: mm-hmm. the big thing that they taught me is to always work hard uh to always be kind to people um to be a very gracious guest uh I think those are the big things
0: yes absolutely and I feel like that's um so rooted in in our culture yeah you sure. know oh
1: they taught me to take my shoes off when I enter the house. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> sure, which <laughs> I still true. don't get why people don't always do yeah I know tracking off. dirt into the house yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. like oh in New York City like, Yeah, like take your shoes off exactly <laughs> <laughs> that feels like the biggest thing they taught me and the most right. important lesson anyone should
0: learn. Right, absolutely. <laughs> in your talks, you often deal with questions about innovation and diversity. As an idea acupuncturist, you bring a spiritual approach to the business world. Tell us how that works.
1: So it, it works um, in that I sort of look at the whole corporate body when I'm evaluating something. So I don't come in with a set of assumptions about how the business works or a set of assumptions around what you're telling me is the answer. So most, what I do now is advise companies and I do some limited legal work if you select clients, but I look at the entire entity and look at really what's going on. So if you're telling me the problem is X, Y, and Z, or the problem is this performance issue, or the problem is, you know, the numbers in a certain division, I'll kind of step back and look at everything and see what's really going on. And wow. so I think that the spiritual piece of that is really more, uh, I'm somewhat industry agnostic. So I don't look at only one specific industry, I think corporations and nonprofits and all of own Ultimately, kind of the same stuff. But it's all right. just dealing with a different widget, but you're kind of making you know the yeah. basics of business kind of the same, and the threads of people and how people interact and how businesses work mm-hmm. or don't work are sort of common across life stage of a company. Yes. And so it's really looking at that kind of total corporate body. So the the joke of an idea, acupuncturist, really started because I, know, I was going to TED years ago. And they asked for your title, and I was at Google at the time. I was a lawyer, and so I was like, well, I'm putting the lawyer at Google is really uninteresting business cards I had to come up with something more <laughs> clever it was right. before like the days of cheap, you know cheap ninja officer or yes. whatever like it was before all the sorts of things yeah. um, so a friend of mine was like oh you know what you are want you're kind of like an acupuncturist of ideas like you go in with like illegal contracts or with your idea about something or your diagnosis of a problem and then it sort of unblocks the energy of that part of the company I was like wow. I like that I'm an idea acupuncturist I so love we, it yeah it started as a joke and then I put it on my business card cards for Ted and I put yeah. it on my name badge at Ted and it got so much love at Ted, which is like such a sad thing. But we yeah. you know a lot of And then the editor of Wired at the time tweeted that it was his favorite title he had seen at Ted and so oh, it just sort of stuck. Cool. And so, yeah, it sort of became a joke but yeah it was a joke but sort of stuck.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, acupuncturist, you're really pinpointing those pain points so yeah very metaphorical there Um, okay so tell us about Google Firstly, and what your efforts and where your energy was when you were working there.
1: Yeah, so I was there for about six years and I was there from 2007 to 2013. So it was exactly six years actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was mostly on the legal team. So I was working as senior counsel on ad technology. So basically anything across the business in North America that was making money at the time. So okay. everything like from um, the big advertising relationships or agency relationships to YouTube. Once we bought YouTube and integrating that and figuring out how to monetize that, I was on that team sure um mobile you know data stuff um, some privacy stuff it was kind of everything yes
0: that's really cool yeah as really an cool. aside my husband's at google oh really yeah he's a product manager on the um double click rich media oh yeah and so you know Neil mohan was the yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So double
1: he, click the, the guys the two lawyers from double click were part of our team oh so wow we bought double click and process that i was
0: there yeah 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 he's still there and and loves being in Chelsea <laughs> oh, nice. yeah, it's a great guy yes, yes, really he really enjoys it. okay um, and let's see tell us about um, you know when you kind of made moves and became founding general counselor at Orby Parker like what kind of interested you in this startup in particular um, and to join them from the ground up
1: so I met Neil years ago actually when I was the general counsel of Acumen Fund um, he was running a non that we funded and so he just remembered me from that time he went on business school and then started Warby Parker as most people know who follow yes. that space yes, the head, of course. Uh, with a bunch of friends and then when it came time looking for a general counsel I think he remembered me we ran into each other at a tech conference in the meantime and he reached out I was like well would you consider taking on this opportunity this is what we're looking for and I actually said no mm-hmm. and I was like well I might know some people so let me think about it he said well will you at least meet me and talk about it so I took the meeting so lesson number one always take a meeting because yes. you just never know right. and we cool. caught up and he started telling me all about what they were building in the business, where they were, the trajectory, the life cycle the company, um, and what they needed for lawyer, and then to sort of sweeten the pot, he was like, well, you could do a second job too. You could be the head of our social innovation efforts, and because my background prior to Google is actually a non uh-huh. um, and he knew that because we had worked together when I was at a nonprofit, right? and right, I was right. really intrigued by that opportunity, mm. the idea of combining business, doing good business with doing good in the world, and what that could look like in a day-to-day way, right. um, and so I was super intrigued, and I was like, all right, let's do it, so, <laughs> So I left, you know, it was a really innovative tech startup to go to a company that was really breaking the mold of how consumer products were sold. Um, and not that it was a technology company, but it sort of behaved a lot like a tech company. So right. it was an interesting transferable you know, skill set in a way in terms of being nimble and things moving fast and all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but still wearing a legal hat for a long time. Of-
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now tell us about the Justice Department.
1: Sure. So that's the most recent venture that I co-founded last year with a colleague, JJ, uh, who continues to run that show. Uh, but the Justice Department was is really focused on women entrepreneurs, creatives, executives. And the idea behind it, um, from my perspective at least, was how do we take all the things that I've been doing my entire career uh, and turn it towards women? So I've made a lot of men very rich. Not me personally, but really? I me mean, as part of a big team, yeah. I've made a lot of men very rich wealthy and there, there's some really good men that have made a lot of money on my back and I feel good about that. But Mm -hmm. what does it look like if I can direct some of my time and talent towards women entrepreneurs and help them in that same way? Um, And I feel like what it looks like is it changes the power dynamic because money is power. And um, if we can change where money lies, then we change a lot of other things in our Mm -hmm. society. We change who's elected in this country. We change uh, the social issues that we have to deal with. We don't have the same... Climate change issues are the same. Children, homeless children issues. Like we don't have a lot of the same issues that we currently have because yeah. men are in control. Right. So that was, you know, at least my interest in co-founding the justice department. And as while well, that chugs on, um, what I'm doing now is a broader base than that. So it's not exclusively women, but most of my clients end up being women, people of color, and there are some great men that I'm working with too. Sure. So my role is more of a no asshole rule than a mm. specifically <laughs> only women. I'm I like that. So, I think I sort of disproportionately fall into the women people of color sort of bucket because yeah. more of them tend to not be assholes and are right. um, <laughs> willing to seek out my help. Yes. Uh, but it's really advising them on anything that they need to help their companies sort.
0: Sure, sure. And so, who are some of your ideal clients, those who are listening? Sure. my ideal clients you know
1: it's been really lucky it's been a lot of word of mouth so I haven't really hung up a shingle mm-hmm. looking for companies to advise Right. Um, I'm industry agnostic as I said earlier but I mm-hmm. so being industry agnostic is everything I cover everything so it's all the in terms of the companies I advise now I'd say I'm probably advising about a dozen companies uh-huh. um, everything from a direct-to-consumer lingerie brand to a CBD company uh, so it's kind of all over the map they tend to be earlier stage so that's more my sweet spot is kind of a series, a pre-seed to a series A is kind of the, the right place, I think, to bring me in as an advisor. Right. I'm um, on a few boards. Those are later stage companies and they from like a B to a D. Yeah. The operating roles I've had have certainly been later stage if they're bringing in somebody um, at my level. It's usually later stage like series B, C, yes. D, somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, and then on the legal side, it's again all over the map. I haven't taken on a ton of legal clients and being pretty selective in who I represent. Um, so it's more kind of word. Mouth.
0: Sure, sure. And so for the entrepreneurs who are listening, um, what are some of the, I guess, legalities of the business that a general counsel you know helps with yeah. Yeah. It's
1: like really everything it yeah can literally be anything under the sun I don't think it's reasonable to expect your general counsel to know absolutely everything like yeah. the word general is is quite key in the description of counsel sure um, at least a good general counsel I think should be a little bit like your GP yes um, not you know the person you're going to go to for a heart surgery or to deliver your baby but like the person that you're <laughs> helping to tell you is, hey I think you're pregnant and you should probably go see somebody about like yes, that kind of thing I like that right? so that's how I think of a general counsel and right. i Happen to have a deeper expertise in the area of tech, obviously, having worked at Google for so long or in consumer products Mm -hmm. or Jim Warby so long. You know, if there's worked in media for a while, so something around that. So I happen to have a deeper uh, bench strength in certain areas just because of the time I've spent on it. But I don't consider myself like a copyright expert, a trademark expert or anything. No, no,
0: no. Yeah, that makes sense. I I love that it's an overarching um, kind of view that you can provide um, the CEO Mm -hmm. and really be their right hand woman um through the process of of growth that's really great you've got a book stalking god my unorthodox search for something to believe in and you've given a ted talk called my failed mission to find god and what i found instead Um, and in it you explain how you know there was a point in your life where you were spiritually homeless Um, you know you grew up in a family that was hindu and jain Mm -hmm. yep specifically um and then there was you know the concept of non absolutism, which you explained. Um, You want to just touch on that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, Basically, the concept is that no one can hold uh, absolute knowledge of truth. Right. Even when it comes to religious. Right. And the onus
0: is to become godlike in ourselves as well. Um, A little contradictory, but then, you know, it it makes sense. Um, And you studied in Catholic school. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you were, you know, exposed to so many different religions and ideologies from a young age. Um, and you categorized yourself as a nun, meaning, I mean, spelled N-O-N-E. So <laughs> to clarify. And um, and in the talk, you, you talk about how nuns, um, those who are, you know, unaffiliated, are they skew young. There's 56 million religious unaffiliated nuns. This was as of 2014. One third of the adults are between 18 to 33. And 68% of them believe there is a God. They just don't know who it is. So when you went on your spirit, Spiritual journey. You're set out to find the meaning of life, and you went on a spiritual pilgrimage, you're looking for answers, um, you were in the mountains of Peru learning from shamans, you went to Burning Man, you practiced transcendental man- meditation, did laughing yoga in South Africa, um, you convened with angels, saints, goddesses, witches, and faith healers like Amma, who is the mother who hugs, um, and you even hired a medium to convene with the dead. I mean, just tell us yes. <laughs> in a nutshell <natural laughs> what this spiritual journey was like. I mean,
1: yeah, I mean, it just was, to
0: live vicariously through you. <laughs> you
1: no, know, it was it was a it was a very authentic journey. I know it sounds like totally cuckoo doodle repeated like <laughs> back in Robert's session, but it, yeah. it was an authentic journey, and it took place over many many years. Um, some might say forty seven years, right? But it's yeah. you know, certainly over the past ten years since my daughter was born. Sure, um, but the the uh, genesis of it really was her birth when she was born almost 10 years ago, um, I just realized I didn't know what I believed about religion and spirituality and the big questions in life that one could not Google answer to, right? So things like, what happens when you die? Is there a God? How do you find happiness? All those sorts of things. Um, and ironically, I worked at Google at the time, right? So I was yeah. a lawyer at Google. Yeah. And I was really used to people coming to me with questions and being able to answer them or find an answer if I didn't know the answer. So that was my job. That was my literal job. And then I realized that one day this kid was going to ask me things that I would didn't even know where to start because mm. I hadn't really thought about it even though in a weird way my whole life had been preparing me to start asking these kinds of questions because as you mentioned I had been raised with a lot of spiritual and religious traditions around me and none of it had really been forced on me. So right. my family is very much young, my parents practice um, but they don't push You know, so as much as we were raised in a traditional household it wasn't a super religious household by any stretch, they sent us to Catholic schools yeah. um, so they were very open minded about all these things. My sister's married to a guy like it's you know we're very um open in that yeah. way and i think because of that core belief of non-absolutism within the john religion uh, they really practice that as well Yes. Yeah. so it wasn't until my daughter was born that I, that I was sort of thrown into this conundrum i'm like well i don't really know where to start mm-hmm. if she asked me these things and it suddenly took on the sur- like super sense of urgency like it, i really needed to find answers for my kid right um because that's what parents wanted to yeah do, right? exactly like, yeah we're problem solvers yeah totally yeah. and, and Anything for your kid, like, yeah. like whatever she needs, I do that, right? And she wasn't even asking the question. Yeah, <laughs> you just like, to be prepared. Yeah, ready. <laughs> and so that's how I started the research and started the cool. project and it really started innocently as a project I'm like oh, I'm just gonna go talk to this faith healer I'm gonna go attend this like random service and a friend of mine told me about this guy who talks to angels and like whatever I would sort of do stuff mm-hmm. um and then it's returned into a thing and I would do me every month and it became like a bit of a um you know a conversation between my friends and colleagues would be like well, what are you up to this and yeah like, well I think I'm gonna explore the teachings of so and so and I'll be like delighted and want to hear more that's so um, cool. and then I realized that just people were really Curious about it, so it just kind of evolved from there. Where it, uh, people started telling me about who they were looking at, or what they were reading, or their belief systems, or the things that they had questioned in the past. And I realized that everybody was secretly looking and not talking about it, sure. So I thought that was just really interesting,
0: yeah. Um, and
1: then many years later, I ended up getting a book deal and wrote this book about my journey, or mm-hmm. you know, and, and my conclusions, or lack thereof, <laughs> thereof, depending on your perspective. Um, and then that turned into a TED Talk, and the rest yeah. of that, so the rest is history, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. But is there something that you've, you know, unilaterally discovered that this is what was enlightening to me through that entire journey?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have an answer about whether or not there's a God or yeah. i okay. um, So, sorry. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no. I definitely, I'm definitely not so yeah, I'm definitely
1: not here to I'm definitely not here to answer that question, yes. unfortunately. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I would have my own podcast right. about that. But yeah, I exactly. I definitely don't know any answers. We could just um, dial in to him yeah, or her right now. <laughs> call, call me anytime. <laughs> um, no, I think what I what I did find is, you know, the conclusion of the book and the TED Talk as well is that ultimately we all Go about these different searches in so many different ways, but sure. we're all looking for the same things. Which, in my research, <laughs> turned out to be health, happiness, and love. And that yes. everybody is looking for those same three things. And we're focusing so much on the things that divide us and the things that make us different, as opposed to the things that really bind us together, which is that common search. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's sort of the root of all our problems. Right Absolutely.
0: Now. And um, what do you feel defines happiness for so many? Oh gosh, what defines happiness? Yeah like how can you attain oh this, no no that's know. again not <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone
1: knows you know right. I think everybody's chasing this external uh, this external fulfillment to make yes. them happy and I think sadly really, or sadly not, not sadly but maybe unfortunately for them it really comes from inside so you right. kind of have to do the work on your own you can't look for something else to mm-hmm. make you happy
0: yes nobody
1: else is responsible for that yeah you
0: know? absolutely it's definitely not anything extrinsic yeah. um, it's something Sorry. that comes Sorry. from within for sure. and um um, what is it that makes you feel um, truly happy?
1: Feel, you, know? you know, I feel I feel very lucky and blessed for the journey that I'm on. You mm. know, it's been a really fun ride to date and certainly not without its ups and downs, but right. um I feel like directionally correct. <laughs> and I yes. feel like if, if something does happen I'm able to like pull myself back up and kind of dust off my knees and keep going. Um so I'm grateful for the strength to be able to do that and for the support system around me, my husband and my daughter my parents and parents, my sister and my friends and family. You know, like yeah, to help me do all of that, I feel really, really lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I work hard to
0: maintain that
1: community for sure. Um, and I think that's you know that's kind of the the most one can hope.
0: Yes, absolutely. You are such a seasoned speaker. Um, and in one of the TEDx talks you gave, um, you encourage us to transform the norm. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what that means and how we can do that?
1: Yeah. So the the context of that talk was more about Warby Parker, the idea of doing good um, in business and so that the norm of business to date has always been a sort of bottom line of shareholder value and monetary gain and that sort of thing that's a good cool one it's that norm that baseline norm looks different right. and we start thinking about um, you know, other bottom lines as well and yes. so that was really the idea behind that mm-hmm. um, and I think it's possible to do now I think it's possible to start a business with that idea of how do you do good in the world baked into whatever you're doing from the Go. And I think, honestly, that's the only way to do it in a truly authentic way and in a yes. way that will carry through the entire life cycle of the business.
0: Absolutely. So keeping sustainability and really like impact and purpose in mind yeah. as you, as you, you know, grow an idea or yeah, venture.
1: Absolutely. Because if it's important to you at the outset, it'll stay important to you, to, you know, throughout. And I think for anyone who's like, oh, well, when I get big, when I hit X million in revenue, when I have X number of employees, then I'll start caring about diversity. Then I'll start caring about the environment. Then I'll start caring about um, labor conditions and my factories or whatever, it's like you're not gonna like just yes. start it now and do right. it from the get go. Right. And make those tough decisions now, even when it's expensive. Yeah. And then set yourself up for that to always be the way you do business as opposed to waiting until it's so much harder to go back and make those changes. Mm-hmm. And then when nobody cares if you do. You know right. then, right? and then it's it's a lot harder to then be like, well now I really do really care yeah. about these things. Exactly. And for your customers to believe you
0: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It just comes off very inauthentic. Yeah. Um do you feel like that's kind of the weed out process because everyone and their mother given the podcast <laughs> um, you know has a startup idea but to to really sustain um, you know it, it it's only just like that top percentage that actually uh, make an imprint right and so is there like something that sets them apart from the rest that
1: well, I think there's a lot of things that set people apart hard in terms of uh, successful entrepreneurship right and I think unfortunately the playing field is really not level to begin with mm. and so uh, a lot of people who are hailed as heroes in the in the, uh, in the startup world, you know, they had a lot of advantages thrown yeah. their way in terms of familial support or the like to get their ideas off the ground, right, yes. so that they weren't paying rent or they were doing it out of their dorm room or out of their parents' basement or whatever and, like, that's that's a pretty big luxury to not have to have um, basic senses met by a job, like yes. most of us, yeah. to be able to go out and start to pursue your dream of a startup. So, right. assuming that you've got not, you know, yeah. a great yeah. idea, but they've actually got uh, the resources to pull something off. Um, beyond that, what really separates the the good from the not so great, I think, is does this idea really need to exist? Right? Like, are you actually a solution in search of a problem, or a problem in search of a solution? Wow. And I think a lot of what I see, unfortunately, is a solution in search of a problem. It's like, just because you have this idea, doesn't mean it needs to exist in the world. And I that's yes. really tough feedback for people. <laughs> but it's true. It's like so. The first thing I would suggest is really sit back and think like, do I really need to mix company? Like, is right. this something that my solution is the only solution out there or the best solution out there? And if no one else is doing it, why not? You know, it's right. because nobody's thought about it. It's because people have tried it and failed. Right. Is it because it's not been well executed or, you know, like what are the reasons that it hasn't been done before? Yeah. Um, and really sit hard and think about, you know, like really think hard about that exactly. because it's a long road. And once yeah. you start a business, you know, you have to be willing to put in years and years and years of tough work, you know, to not, uh, to make it anything so yeah just knowing that this is like this is the idea and this is something i'm willing to do to the exclusion of everything else in my life right um, then go for
0: it yeah absolutely i think you you definitely have to be yeah. very intentional and i love how you um explained that like you know there there could be a ton of solutions but it's like are you really solving this problem yeah. and is it are, are you uniquely solving this problem in the best way possible because if there's an easier app or what have you out there then what you know yeah. what sets yours apart yeah yeah it's Brilliant. the TED talk platform has garnered over 4 billion views with the Oscars tallying 29.6 million viewers and you uh, mentioned the WWD TED is like the nerd red carpet for the Met Ball or Oscars so just like your fashion choices matter on those stages they can also matter on the TED stage um, and I love that you you know I guess like um, are so attuned to to fashion and you know particularly a woman's fashion uh, choice when she's giving you know, a large-scale speaking engagement like that. So um, what do you find... Is something that female speakers should gravitate towards when it comes to their fashion decisions.
1: Yeah, I think we're something you're really comfortable in and that you feel really like yourself in. Mm. You know, it was a funny article because uh, Women's World Daily, Women's Wear Daily, reached out to me because I was wearing a designer that they were profiling, Maria Cornejo, who has now become a friend of mine because right. I wore her at TED. Right, um, and she was being profiled in that piece uh, because a lot of women on the TED stage had worn her in a row, and so I think because of that they sort of noticed this trend, and then they were like, oh why do women wear Maria on the TED stage so they reached out to me for a comment and I actually pulled something from my own closet to wear it's not like I was borrowing stuff from her it was just like a jumpsuit I had bought at a sample sale for 300 bucks yeah but it was because I felt great in it and I felt like myself and I felt comfortable and I knew I wouldn't be fussing with my clothes but I felt uh, pretty but I felt strong you know I felt like all the things I wanted to feel because I originally had bought something I had bought a pair of trousers and a blouse like something really simple and these spiky spiky heels and it was ridiculous because the idea of wearing spiky heels, like I don't wear, I'm not ever Yeah, and you never wear them, maybe yeah, on
0: the regular anymore. i would have been
1: so uncomfortable. My feet would have been killing me. And I would have been <laughs> so conscious of what my feet were doing the entire talk that I would not have felt steady in my feet. I almost wore gym shoes on the touch Oh, cool. I thought about it, and then I was like, no, that's probably, you know, maybe I should like elevate a little. Yeah, little. a little. Bit, but I was so like, far, I'm not gonna. So I want to. So, my advice to anyone who does a lot of speaking uh, is just, and to anybody really, just anything you're doing, just wear what you feel great in. Don't worry about was trendy
0: so now tell us about your motherhood journey oh
1: my motherhood Mm -hmm. journey was a bumpy one so it's been wonderful since becoming a mother but I went through multiple IVF cycles failed IVF otherwise I'd have a lot of kids running around (laughs) but um, I went through several miscarriages Mm -hmm. before having Zia and then once I got pregnant with Zia and carried her to term my pregnancy was actually totally uneventful so the journey up until that point was uh, was heartbreaking and full of missteps Sure. Um, but then the journey once she got in there was pretty smooth, touch one. Yes. Um, and then since then, you know, again, she'll be 10 in about a week. And she's been a delight. She's yeah. so fun. And yeah. It's been really great. I mean, I'm, I'm super spoiled. She's, a, I know all mothers probably say this about their kids, but my kid really is the best kid. Yeah. So sorry for the other kids. <laughs> but I know my kid might be the best kid. She's yeah. just like a really good kid. I'm she, really
0: lucky. Yeah. And you've, you feature her on social um, a lot. And she does like, like it. I have to stop doing that. Point. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it's nice to get a glimpse because she is so precocious and so strong-willed, and you know, she's uh, a woman all her own. You yeah. know, in the making, well, which a li- is a
1: little young lady. All yes, her own, you yeah, not, not a woman. Yes. Yet, <laughs> but,
0: yeah. she's only nine. She just looks tall. Right, <laughs> and <really> tall. <laughs> right. Um and I, I mean, you know, speaking of all things spiritual, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Yeah, and so it was Zia that was meant to be your daughter.
1: Yeah, so that that is for sure true, and she she is a very strong little kid she held in there. So yeah, she, here she is.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What's her um like dynamic like with you and your husband? Oh she's really fun. She definitely I think Prefers my
1: husband as a playmate ah. she used to call him mama when she was a baby and then called me papa which oh, was interesting. super annoying and like in retrospect adorable but like really annoying at the time yeah um and so they are attached to the hip like they're total buds. and she gets her nerdy from her father and she gets her personality and, and like, charm from me yeah she gets yes. her humor from me we say but that's cool <laughs> yeah, no, she's a great kid she's, I love she's a that. kid on her own, she's doing
0: her own yes yes oh that's so awesome <laughs> um and what are some of the lessons that you hope to teach Zia and impress upon her? Well, probably similar to
1: what my parents impressed upon me, right? It's like work really hard, mm-hmm. be kind, take your shoes off when you go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, stay hydrated, that kind of stuff. I think um, wear sunscreen. You know, yeah, that's important. Yeah, Put sunscreen yeah. on your hands. Also important. Okay. Show age. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and your neck too. Important. Um. Yeah, but I think if I can just show her how to be a kind person and demonstrate that, I think I'll do my job. Yeah. Everything else is kind of up to her.
0: Yes, it's true. Um. You know, as the Dalai Lama said, you know, kindness yeah. is his religion. Oh, there you go. And I mean I the Dalai like, Lama? Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. Yeah. exactly. Exactly. So is there a point in time that you can share where you're like, I trust my mom sense" in that moment? I don't want to embarrass her, but there was a
1: time when she had lied about something that was happening at school. And the teachers were very, very concerned. And they called me and they didn't know that she had lied. Like she was, there was this incident happening at school related to her. So she was, it was like a victimless crime because she was the victim of this made up crime. Okay. And then um, as she was telling me the story, I was like, so and I was okay. like, Oh my God! I think she's lying, and I think she's the one who wow. has committed this crime. You know, and Uh-oh, so oh, wow. and I didn't say anything How to the teacher. Figure that out. It was just so I don't know. It just because the whole thing just didn't add up, and the teachers, to their credit, were being so deferential to her, and they're like, Oh, okay. you know, we'll figure it. We'll get to the bottom of it. Yes. What's going on? It was sort of like a light bullying incident. Okay, and I was like, I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. Like, there's no way this is going on. And So I, I basically got a confession out of her because oh. I was right. But it, yeah, and my husband was more He's like, Why would you? Why would you even? Think Think that she was right. like, no, would you say that? I was like because I know her yes. there's no way this does not make sense first of all she's not the kind of kid that somebody would bully in this way like, okay, like the no, this yeah. specific situation just didn't make sense yeah. but also the way she was telling the story I was like there's no way so then, my mom's sons definitely kicked in there you go but then I had to like have her apologize yes. to the teachers and like go through a whole thing she will never do that like, yeah she will yeah. never pull that again but
0: let's not forget our quote of the day is there a quote that you live
1: by? Um, there's a David Bowie quote that I love, uh, which is I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise won't be boring. That's great. That's one of my favorite.
0: Yes, and it won't be. I mean, I feel like the way that you've lived your life up until now um, is just it's so inspiring because you ask those questions and you're you're seeking that growth and it shows. Oh thank you. yeah I it. yeah, absolutely. It's now time for Mom Hall when we share products we love. So, is there a product, um, it could be even one of the ones that companies you're working for, that you are just absolutely loving right now and want to share? It's like talking to your girlfriends um gia penta
1: for lingerie mm-hmm. it's like la perla meets technical sportswear it's really great stuff it's oh, so wow. comfortable. I'm not a lingerie connoisseur yeah. until I started advising this company and I absolutely love what she's doing um so definitely check that out especially because it's like the perfect way to feel like a little sexy yeah. but then actually like comfortable. Original. yeah yes. it's really 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 great stuff um I'm loving skincare by both Pratima ah. and Infiore like mm-hmm. anything from them all natural really cleaning ingredients all botanical i've been doing it for years and yes just beautiful products my skin feels amazing i love all of their stuff of course
0: where can my audience find you
1: oh uh you can find me on twitter where i mostly tweet run stuff about donald trump right now So <laughs> apologies in
0: advance that's uh,
1: at anjali kumar or on instagram at anjali kumar great
0: yeah but thank you so much my it was master. an absolute honor to meet you oh, and have you on the show sweet. thank you for thank having me you. how amazing was that episode Anjali is a wealth of knowledge, and to think she spends so much of her life being curious and wanting to learn more is truly remarkable. I hope you got some great takeaways from her. I want to thank you all for leaving your reviews on um, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all the platforms that you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense on. I wanted to share one of the reviews now, um, and it was by Lisa, and she writes, Great podcast. I love it. Great interviews, awesome guests, and Kanika does a great job of asking amazing questions. Perfect podcast for moms. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for being a fan and a supporter. It's listeners like you that keep me going. um, And I'm so, so happy to have you in my corner. If there's a topic or pain point that you're grappling with and you want me to cover, write to me at that's total thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com. Um, I read all of your messages and respond to them. And I really, really appreciate the human connections that I get um, with my audience. So thank you. Thank you for that. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. It's at Kanika XOXO. And um, check out my website for updates on the podcast and events that I'm doing. Um, and that's that's Total sense. Com. Remember, always trust your mom sense. Stay strong, super mamas. See you next time. That's total mom sense.